We have heard from Ben Simmons. We have heard from James Harden. Of course, what we really need to see is how they look out on the court. And we have a lot of questions about when either or both of them will end up on the court. Also, some NFL news to get into, lots to look at, with still the Super Bowl and the upcoming offseason as well. Fitz is out tonight. Teron Davenport joining me here for Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Teron covers the Titans for ESPN NFL Nation. Um, also, you do some some radio stuff uh, uh, as well, right, Teron? Yes, right here with you, right here, right now. I mean, right not now. right no. now, <laughs> but uh, you do some yeah. other stuff, yes? Yeah, no, I, I do, uh, I, I have a, a show on ESPN, Nashville Radio, uh, 102.5, The Game, always talking Titans uh, down here in Nashville, so. All right, that's yes, where man. The, people, or the people can find you. Uh, let's get into some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Of course, the big story of the day, uh, we do finally hear from James Harden and Ben Simmons with their new teams, and let's start with James, because... Uh, I will t- I will say he did a fine job of saying nothing when it comes to what we heard about the alleged Cold War between him and Kevin Durant over the end of his tenure with the Nets, uh, the allegations that at the end of the time with the Nets he started pulling some of those same tricks he did in Houston, flying to Vegas in between games. Uh, the force the uh, the evening against the Kings was about all anyone needed to see to know that he was ready to get get on somewhere else. But when he was asked specifically about wanting to be a sixer and if Daryl Morey had something to do with it, here's what he said. For me, I think uh, you know just the relationship that I had in Houston, uh, it was basically mutual, but everything was on me. <laughs> For me, it just it, it made sense, man. It's, it's a time where I needed to be around the guys that I know that want to win and know that they are willing to do whatever it takes to win. And um, the structure here is, is unbelievable. That's the goal, man. That's the goal. Like Daryl said, the opportunity, the window is now. Joel is playing the best he's ever played. Um, you know, So my job is to come out there and, and help him and help the entire team win the championship this year and years going forward. Okay, Tron, what line from that stood out to you? Did one stand out to you? Because one sure did for me. Yeah, one stood out to me was that he said he wanted to be somewhere where he knew there were guys that wanted to win and were willing Bingo. to do anything Willing to, win. to do anything. Wow. Yep. Wow. Hot dog. I, that That's a, a direct shot right in the gut to each member of that, that Brooklyn Nets team, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, listen, Kevin Durant, I think, is off the hook in terms of uh, nobody Nobody believes that KD is not going to give his everything to win at all times. Like, that's that's kind of the prototype for what you want out of a player is not only that kind of skill, but that kind of desire at all times to prioritize winning over everything. I mean, that's a shot right at Kyrie. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a question that I would have for Sixers fans is, does Daryl Morey's presence alone and that relationship and the fact that we knew Harden wanted to be there is that enough to make you not worry about him pulling the same tricks on your team as he has two previous to this, if not more than that, right? Is Daryl Morey's presence and his belief in Harden enough that you don't think that he's going to get disgruntled and try to implode this team just like the other ones? I think there were plenty of conversations where Daryl Morey pressed for Harden to be there and said that it is enough. His presence there is enough because of their relationship, but facts are facts. I mean, this isn't the first time... That, that this has happened. I mean, this guy's been able to force his way out of, of multiple teams. So it's just, it, it's a tough call, and I, I get it. There's a relationship there, but I, I think you have to look at, there's a saying, right? When someone shows you who they are, mm-hmm. you got to believe them. And yeah. I, I think when it happens multiple times, 
you have to believe that there's a strong possibility of that happening again. All right, I want to talk Simmons, but quickly, I'm putting you on the spot here. Mm. Tuesday, February 15th at 7.06 p.m. Eastern. We have not seen James Harden play a single minute with Embiid and the Sixers. Do you think this makes the team better this year and next year, or do you think it's more likely that this will disrupt what was already a really great thing with Embiid leading the way? I think it makes them better immediately because there are going to be days, although Embiid has this crazy streak of 25 points, in a game, there are going to be days where Embiid is not going to be the the factor that, that he is. So someone else has to be there to pick up the slack. And they really thought Tobias Harris would be that guy. But, you know, I, I still see him on that milk carton. You, you know, you see him right. posted on telephone poll, uh, post, you know what I'm saying, the, the missing person flyer. So I, I think when you have – Harden as that, that Batman or Robin or back and forth to, to Embiid, that pushes a guy like Harris back to his, his natural spot of being a support player and not one of your quote-unquote big three. I think that that's absolutely true for certain games. I'll be interested to see if consistency in and out, if the rhythm and the game plan can stay in night in and night out because James Harden we know can go off. We also know he can forget how to basketball and disappear. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Let's get to Ben Simmons. Uh, this was an interesting answer to me. He sort of flipped the question in the answer when he was asked if he, if he was offended by uh, criticism after his trade request. No, because I can't tell somebody it's how they feel, right? I can't tell somebody, you know, you need to do this or that because I don't know how they feel. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know how they're processing things. So I can't do that, but I can't also put somebody else, you know, down for having those comments. I'm just not that person, you know. I'm never going to put my teammates down, my coaches, or anything like that. So it's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you could have said that quicker with yes. Uh, I would never do that. I would never presume to know what someone else is feeling. I would never presume to know why someone else is asking for something. I would never dog my teammates or my coaches or anybody. That's what they all did to me, but I would never do that to them. That's how he flipped that answer to make it about the people that he believed clearly yeah. uh, didn't take into account how he was feeling or what he wanted, and, and clearly that did bother him. Yeah, and it was said perfectly by a person who is going through what Ben Simmons had had gone through, right? Because one of the things that he so quickly mentioned was, I don't know what that person's going through. I don't know how mm -hmm. they're dealing with things. So he, he showed that ability to try to uh, empathize with, with uh, someone else's issues. But you can't say that like, he's a human being above all else. And, and I don't care if you're the toughest of tough or, or whatever, you are going to be offended when someone is talking about you the right. way that city of Philadelphia, and yes, I say that city of Philadelphia, was talking about Ben Simmons because you won't find a supporter of Ben Simmons in the 215 or 267 area code. And listen, I'm not going to limit it to there. Uh, everybody has gotten their hits on, on yeah. Ben Simmons. It, yeah. it was too easy. And listen, we'll, we'll get into the mental health aspect of it because it is very sticky and tricky. Mm. But in sports, an inevitability – even if you're the greatest of all time, is you're going to get dogged when you do things that fans don't like or you make a mistake or you miss a shot. And he was on some pretty high profile, in some pretty high profile situations where things didn't go his way. Um, muddying that with the mental health thing, I think, is dangerous for some people. Um, but we'll get into that and why that's so difficult for us to talk about and for us to address it in a way that's actually um, empathetic and, and informed. Uh, the one last thing I found interesting was uh, when they asked him if he was uh, communicating well with the Sixers. 
the the communication. I spoke to Elton. I spoke to Josh Harris. They called me. I spoke to Doc Rivers, um, and I spoke to Tobias. There was a couple other places I spoke to about it, and you know they they were happy you know for me to just be in a different situation, and you know to, for me to get back on the floor eventually. So um, now overall, I think you know they, they supported me well enough through this. Did you speak with Joel? No, I did not. Well. Uh, mm-hmm. that's not a surprise, but nice to hear that he did have allies or at least mature professionals who were willing to engage with him as he made his way out of there. Um, <laughs> not always an empathetic figure uh, for a number of reasons early on, but I think most would argue maybe, maybe outside of Philly that the hope is that he gets to a new place and is able to find his game again and thrive because you never want to see talent like that, not be, uh, not be in a good space, not be well used. He just got to shoot the rock, man. Yeah, like, well, that would or, just be so or not, frustrating. or not, because he'll be with the Nets, and he can just play killer defense, and he can facilitate, and he can let KD shoot all night, and we'll see a guy that can be really effective. I'm I know sorry, it'd be funnier Sarah. if he became a forty percent three point shooter. You can't be, <laughs> you can't be six ten with a handle like he has, and able to get to the cup at will and not shoot it. I know. There were so many times, and I'm not even a Sixers fan, but it's just so frustrating when you got a guy that big able to get in the paint whenever he wants to, and he does it, and it's just like a gorilla jumps on him and says you can't <laughs> shoot. Like, it's yips, just it's terrible. It's the yips. Yeah, the so yips. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we're going to get back to hoops in a little bit. I do want to talk about the Ben Simmons uh, mental health stuff and the change of scenery for him. But we got to talk about the Vikings getting their guy. It happened. Talk about it next. How all of a sudden he's gone from being a you know pretty good quarterback that some people would say pads his stats, right? Like you've got all of these debates about Matt Stafford, and now he's a Super Bowl winner. The man is, if you put talent around him with quality coaching, this is what Matthew Stafford is capable of. Matthew Stafford has 45 fourth quarter comeback wins in his career, including the playoffs. I think he's going to be remembered as a, being a lot better quarterback than he actually was because he has incredible, like big numbers. We're going to get into Matt Stafford's numbers. See, just a compiler in a league that is really beneficial to offensive players and quarterback numbers right now, or is he a Hall of Famer? It's Spain and Fitz. Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Before that, we're going to do some football, though. And you all have to tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, today's was a great one, so uh, they always are. I listen to that. I listen to it every day. Check it out. Um, we were waiting on the Super Bowl for, for a number of reasons, uh, and one of those was for the official report of the Minnesota Vikings' new head coach, Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Planning to introduce him Thursday, according to Adam Schefter. O'Connell expected to take the tight ends coach and passing game coordinator from the Rams, Wes Phillips, with him to Mini, maybe as his O coordinator, maybe as his passing game coordinator. Uh, This, Tehran, the second coordinator in two years from Sean McVay's staff to land a head coaching job. Uh, Brandon Staley, hired by the Chargers last year, former D coordinator for the Rams. What do you make of the hire? Well, I tell you what, it shows it's, it's definitely good to be guilty by association <laughs> with uh, Sean McVay, that's for sure. I think it's a good hire, though, because when you look at uh, Kevin O'Connell, he is a former quarterback. That 
you don't have to play to to be a good coach, but being able to put yourself in the situations that you're asking your quarterback to to be in is a good thing. So I think that's a positive. But then you look at the influence that he has uh, as far as uh, Sean McVay, uh, Jay Gruden. You know, he's worked with some really good offensive minds, and I think that will only do well for this uh, uh, Vikings offense. And I like the fact that he's bringing that that boot action, that play action, those type of things, because frankly, that's when Kirk Cousins is at his best. You want to cut that field in half and give him, you know, the ability to read that way. And for some reason, when you do that, it takes away from those uh-oh type of throws that Kirk Cousins will make at times. So I think it's a really good move for the organization. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, these guys are going to benefit. That rushing attack is going to get better. Uh, I, I, I like the move, honestly. Certainly uh, follows a pattern. Uh, the, the Vikings interviewed a few defensive-minded coaches, but ended up with an offensive guy and certainly a McVay-adjacent offensive young coach seems to be a pretty big trend around the league. So do coaches having come from not just the McVay tree, but the Shanahan slash Washington mm-hmm. tree. How mm-hmm. is Washington the most dysfunctional, <laughs> toxic, crap hole of a team all offense intended, and yet the number of coaches that have come out of that spot. O'Connell, just a second season with the Rams this year, he was with Washington for three seasons before that, offensive coordinator in 19, passing game coordinator in 18, quarterbacks coach in 17. The number of dudes in in high-profile head coaching positions in the league now that came from the Washington football team, the commanders, I should say, is kind of shocking. Yeah, it's like, you know how the saying goes? Like, I got it out the mud. Like, I came from the dirt. (laughs) I think that's what's going on. They're struggling so badly in in, in Washington with with everything going on. Started from the bottom, now they're here. (laughs) And you go someplace else, and it's like, wow, this is what life is like on the good side. So, yeah, I think that could have something to do with it. All jokes aside, it's just, you know, that was just a really good group of coaches that that they've had uh, go through, and it just – it's it's come to fruition now. 36 years old, so another young guy getting an opportunity very early. The Vikings were really impressed by his knowledge of the scheme, personnel, uh, the team. He came to the meeting extremely well prepared, um, and they think he's got the right demeanor for it as well. It's an interesting job to take with the contract around Cousins and everything else. There's a $45 million cap hit attached to Cousins in the last year of his deal. Um, so uh, this is a team that... especially if Aaron Rodgers goes anywhere, is in a wide-open division. A little bit different if Rodgers sticks around with the Packers, but uh, I think it's I think it's a good hire. We'll we'll wait and see, of course. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. Uh, let's talk about another football-related story out of the Rams that's got everybody flapping their gums. Uh, <laughs> most people on the side of Mina Kimes, and the question was being asked is, is Matt Stafford, now that he is a Super Bowl winner, a Hall of Famer? Here's what Mina said on first take. I do not. Now, right now, I do not. I agree with Sherman. Look, Matthew Stafford just had a hell of a postseason, hell of a season, and deserves a lot of credit for proving his critics wrong. But I think we got to pump the brakes a little on going right from the Super Bowl to Canton. My opinion is that the Hall of Fame, the bar that Sherman refers to, should be that a player has been either the best or among the best at his position, ideally for some period of time. Matthew Stafford has played 12 seasons in the NFL. In those 12 seasons, he's been in one Pro Bowl, 
never been an All-Pro. He has finished top five in passer rating once and top five in touchdowns three times. Yeah, uh, she had all the stats there, as Mina often does. Mm -hmm. Tron, I've definitely heard more people agreeing with Mina than I've heard uh, the Orlovskis of the world who are hammering Hall of Fame for Stafford. Yeah, and I think she made all of the excellent points that needed to be made. And when you look at this guy as far as uh, all pros, you know, that that's not there. When you look at just over time, well, I mean, I could ask you right now, Sarah, top five quarterbacks in the league including Tom Brady. Yeah, I, this is exactly what I said on, on Debatable today. I said, right now, would you wouldn't put him top five. You, right. you got You got Allen, you got Burrow, you got Mahomes, you got Brady, you got uh, Herbert. Herbert. Uh, I mean, you could go a number more before you would say Stafford. And that's not dogging on him. He's just mm -mm. a guy who can at times have a great arm and make some really incredible throws. He can also be inconsistent. And... I don't think it's easy to, to, to discuss this because you can't separate him from the Lions in the sense that he would have made more Pro Bowls. He would have had a better reputation, had those great stats that he put up, been for a team that was winning. But also, he was starting in the league for as long as he was getting compiler stats in part because he was playing for the, for the Lions. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing is the gift and the curse, right? The gift is, okay, well, you know what? He's on the Lions. Of course, he's not going to make Pro Bowls. The curse is, hey, when you're, when you're getting blown out by 21 points and, and defense are playing prevent defense and allowing you to pass underneath and compile yep. yards, hey, that's going to pad the stats, you know? Right, and that's why he has the most fourth-quarter comebacks of anybody since 2009 because they were behind a lot. you got to get behind to pull ahead. That's not to say that he isn't clutch for those moments and those performances, but, um, yeah, he certainly – I think he could become a Hall of Famer. If you look at first year with a new coach and a new system, pieces being added midway through Woods goes down, OBJ gets added. There are a lot of things that will tell you that if he stays in the system for another couple of years, he can get even better, and maybe he will prove himself to be a Hall of Famer. But as of right now, we both say no. Sorry, Matt. We are we are the final deciders. We are we are the ones who get the vote too. So that's that's unfortunate for him. He's gonna be real disappointed to hear that from us, Tehran. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Tehran Davenport in for Fitz. Coming up next, 2022 Super Bowl champion is gonna join us and talk about Sunday's game. It's next. Here's the snap. Here's the knee. The Bengals will not call a timeout. The sidelines empty. Rings for the Rams. A Lombardi Trophy for Los Angeles on their home field in Super Bowl 56. The Los Angeles Rams are world champions. 710 ESPN with the call there. James Harden's out in Philly ringing the bell trying to steal the thunder of the Rams, but we want to keep talking Super Bowl. We want to keep talking Super Bowl, and we're going to do that because the Rams bring it home. Second straight team with a home Super Bowl getting the win in their home stadium. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's talk about that Super Bowl win with a champion, Rams wide receiver Ben Skoranek. Ben, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can hear my voice. I was at the game as well. I did not play. Uh, I was merely there and engaged in some uh, tomfoolery afterwards. I'm still recovering. How about you? I feel like uh, I said yesterday, a satchel of Richards, uh, and it is now Tuesday. Have you recovered yet? Uh, I got a little bit of sleep last night. Um, I'm still really sore. 
you know, taking some hits, especially on special teams. Uh, those are where the majority of the collisions occur. But um, I'm just kind of starting to, to, to feel like myself again. Um, yesterday I felt like a zombie, that's for sure. Ben, I remember watching you for the one day at, at the Senior Bowl, and, and you look at your, your progression right from there to, to now being a Super Bowl champion. What would you think was the toughest lesson that you had to learn going from, you know, a guy who was once called Harry Potter to a, a guy <laughs> who you have to call a Super Bowl champion? Um, just patience. Um, that's the biggest, you know, lesson I've had to learn. You know, there's no such thing as instant gratification. And, you know, honestly, for me, being a rookie, um, you know, there's still a lot of growing, obviously, in my game uh, to do. But, you know, that one day at the senior goal that you saw me, like, you know, I went out there with a broken foot, didn't tell anyone about it. And it was one of the worst days of football I've ever put on tape. But, um, you know, it's almost been a year now. Um, and just, you know, everything that's happened in between then, um, you know, all the adversity, um, you know, everything I've had to overcome, everything the team's had to overcome, uh, you know, it makes it, you know, truly special to be a world champion now. Ben Skoranek of the Rams with us here, Super Bowl champion wide receiver. You know, Ben, I was, I'm a former athlete myself, and it, you always want to be in the situation to help your team. You always want to have the ball when the stakes are the highest. But that's scary, too. So when OBJ goes down and you realize your targets are going up, was it immediate excitement? Not, of course, for the fact that he got hurt, but, okay, this is on me now. I'm going to have to play a bigger role. Or was there a little bit of nerves there? Um, you know, a little bit of both. Um, you know, you you always want to have the opportunity on the biggest stage. Um, you know, I feel terrible for Odell, um, you know, just seeing, you know, day in and day out the work he puts in uh, to be who he is. And unfortunately, he's had the injury bug the past couple of years. And um, to see him finally shining again after, you know, overcoming all that adversity and then to, to get um, injured again, is just so hard to see, um, you know, a teammate, a brother, you know, go through that. But um, you know, at the same time, it was the middle of the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I knew <laughs> there was really no one else uh, to go in. So, you know, I knew, um, you know, the role I had to had to take. You know, I, I expected to go into the game and, and make an impact on special teams. And then, um, you know, next thing you know, I'm playing every single snap of offense as well. So, um, you know, it's definitely a night that I'll never forget. Um, I'm just happy that I did a lot of extra cardio leading into the week. <laughs> Something told me to do cardio every single day. And, uh, um, that last drive of the game, I was dead tired, but I'm glad that I, you know, hit the, uh, the assault like a few extra times this week. Having played receiver myself, not at the pro level, but at college, I, I know one thing you always do is ride for your quarterback, right? You never bite the hand that feeds you. And obviously the big question right now is, whether or not Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to ask you whether or not he is. I want you to tell me why you think he is and just tell me some unique things behind the scenes that we don't get to see because we're not in the building with you guys. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I could talk to you guys all night about hmm. Matthew. Um, you know, I just say, you know, he's the best leader that I've ever played with. Um, you know, there's not a bad thing I could ever say about Matthew. Uh, his toughness, his leadership. You know, and then obviously what you see, you know, every single Sunday, um, he's just an unbelievable competitor. Um, you know, the stuff he does that no one sees, um, you know, the, the teammate he is. Uh, you know, if, if I'm a Hall of Fame voter, I'm putting him first ballot. Um, he's that talented. And then, you know, you guys saw what he did this year with us. Um, you know, he led us to the, to, to the Super Bowl, to the highest of highs. So, um, you know, he, he's just an unbelievable man, unbelievable football player, and I'm just lucky, um, you know, to work with him every single day. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're talking to Super Bowl champion Rams wide receiver Ben Skoranek. All right, so you played at Northwestern and Notre Dame. I'm a Chicago gal, two two schools nearby. Who is who is taking more credit right now? I'm seeing stories. Northwestern alum Ben Skoranek, Notre Dame alum Ben Skoranek. Everybody wants a piece of the guy that just won a Super Bowl. Uh, who are you getting more calls from, or or which one uh, is, is aligning more with you in the days since the win? <laughs> depends. Uh, depends if I do something good during the game or do something bad. You know, <laughs> you'll, you'll see the true love. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but um, I'd say it's, it's 50-50. Um, you know, I talked to um, Coach Fitz at, at Northwestern, um, my position coach, Coach Springer, um, and then I talked to my position coach in Notre Dame. Um, you know, obviously Marcus Freeman reached out to me, Tommy Reese. Um, and then, you know, I just have so much support from, from both schools. So I'd say it's 50-50, and you know, I'm very lucky to, to be a part of both those schools, um, just such special alumni bases and um you know, I, I, I'm glad I have two to pick from. You know, each every every Saturday, you know, at least one of them is going to win, uh, right. hopefully. So <laughs> that, that, that's pretty that's pretty fun during the season. What's next for you, Ben? You know, you, you're celebrating the, the Super Bowl win. Uh, when are you going to like? How much time do you plan on taking off? And then when do you plan to get right back in the mix and uh, start training and, and getting ready to defend that that title you got? Oh man, um, you know. <laughs> Looking back at it, like really since last, um, really since what was it, like January of 2020, um, when I transferred to Notre Dame, um, you know, it's been all work since then. I haven't really had the opportunity to take you know, really much time off at all. Um, you yeah, know, give you, him a break, John. You go, uh, <laughs> you go to, to, to Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> No, nothing was ever really given to me there. There's no promises when I transferred there. I had to earn a, a starting spot there. And then um, COVID hit, and really you never knew, you know, okay, are we going to go back this week? Is spring ball going to start now? You know, you just stay in shape. Um, and really there's nothing else to do during COVID but to work out. Um, and then you go into the, the, the fall camp at Notre Dame. Um, you go through the full season there, and then right after the season it's um senior bowl unfortunately i got hurt right before the senior bowl went there then i had surgery um rehab from that while you're preparing for the nfl you get to the nfl um and then you have to earn a spot on the team uh especially as a seventh round draft pick there's really no time you can take off um and then you go straight into the longest season in nfl history with the 17 straight games so uh to say i'm mentally exhausted is an understatement and i'm excited to take um, I'm going to go on a little vacation here next week, uh, just a couple of days. And then really because of, you know, how long the season is and how short the off season is now for us and the Bengals, um, it's going to be right back to work. And, um, you know, I'm really excited. Um, you know, I'm someone who's, who's never really satisfied. Um, so I'm excited to get, get back to work. Um, you know, obviously the NFL is at the highest level and I feel like it exposed some parts of my game that I really, uh, need to work on. So, um, you know, I'm just excited to get back, you know, get back to work. Um, obviously, be smart. I let my body recover so I don't, you know, have any injuries or anything like that. But um, I'm excited to get back to work with this group of guys and uh, hopefully defend the crown. Ben Skoranek, Rams wide receiver, Super Bowl champion. The nice thing is there's lots of personal goals that you can have out there, but you've you've already got at least one Super Bowl, which is a pretty decent start for your NFL career. It's not too bad. It's not too bad to get the Super Bowl under your belt off the top, and you got a lot more to get to. Thanks so much for the time, Ben. Enjoy vacation. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great rest of your evening. Super Bowl champ. Decent start. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your small business is a big deal. Cover what you've worked so hard for. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up next, we got a lot of stories from today. We're going to get to them fast with quickies. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to get back to Simmons, Harden, and what we expect from them with their new teams. We're going to talk to Bill Barnwell and Kevin Seifert about Super Bowl and offseason stuff in the NFL. But there is a lot of other stuff to get to in the sporting world. And when there's too many stories and not enough time, this is how we get it done. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. Today, February 15th, 2022, was supposed to be the date for pitchers and catchers to report, but MLB is still in a lockout. 75 days ago, the MLB locked players out. It does not feel like they are anywhere near a resolution. I know a lot of people would say, hey, you miss uh, 10 or 15 games of a very long season. It might actually be better than the uh, uh, unending feeling uh, uh, season of, of baseball. But for someone like me, Teron, who's supposed to be uh, cracking a beer and watching some baseball in roughly uh, two weeks or so, this is not a good sign. Yeah, you're not the only one. Shoot, I'm right here in the studio. I got my Mets cap on. I was, I wanted to see Max Scherzer, you know, finally get to see him in, in a uniform that will help me as opposed to beating my Mets. So, I, yeah, I, I could reason with you. I, I hate the fact that this is going on. And then also, who is going to be the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire to pull him out of the slump? Because baseball is just constantly regressing as far as the popularity in this country. Yeah, and it's surprising because of the money lost during the shortened COVID season that they wouldn't do their best to get this done mm. as quickly as possible. But there were so many issues that we have seen for years coming down the pike that were going to be potentially long-lasting uh, spots uh, that they wouldn't be able to find a common ground on. And, and we are seeing that now. Um, I do not have high hopes for my ability to see baseball in Arizona at the end of this month. But uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, next story. Quickies. Sticking with baseball, and I think the um, uh, ESPN Daily tomorrow or the next day might end up being about this, but the 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 trial um, uh, in the in the death of uh, of Tyler Skaggs, former uh, Angels player, and the uh, the trial against the former Angels employee Eric Kay, uh, the staffer who was alleged to have given pills, oxycodone, uh, that helped lead to the pitcher's overdose death. A uh, bunch of people testifying today in Tehran. One of the interesting things is as you're learning about the specifics around their clubhouse, the Angels, Eric Kay, and Tyler Skaggs, you're also learning about other players, most notably Matt mm -hmm. Harvey, who was given protections uh, from any, any criminal or legal issues as a result of his honesty, but not certainly in the court of public opinion. And, you know, talking about getting drugs, uh, using uh, cocaine, Percocet, Oxy, um, acknowledging doing it before and during his season, doing it in the dugout and the clubhouse. Um, I I'm concerned. I'm sure he was very concerned about the impression left after after what he said today. Absolutely. And as a Mets fan, you know, I remember Matt Harvey uh, every time that he would pitch. Like it was a it was a like a spectacle, you know, mm -hmm. the dark night. And looking back on that, knowing what he has said now, and, and TJ Quinn, our TJ Quinn has done an excellent job, you know, revealing, you know, reporting on this, 
it, it just it, it makes sense to why there was so much uh, erratic play and stuff like that. And it's just I, I I didn't realize that drugs were so abundant in Major League Baseball locker rooms, mm. and the the fact that it's accepted because you know some of the things that that Matt Harvey said, you know, as far as uh, a, a guy, you know, doing drugs right there in the in the stall and those type of things in, in, in the bathroom, in the restroom. Like it, these are things you're going to see that, and it's just yep. amazing to me that the it was just all right. I'm going to mind my business and, and and not pay any attention to it. And here it is: you have a young man who who died prematurely, and obviously the alcohol was mixed in with it as well. Yeah, the coroner's report said he choked to death on his vomit. It was a toxic mix of alcohol, fentanyl, and oxycodone. Um, You've heard uh, in regards to Harvey sort of the rumors around his partying, but obviously he made it uh, known and clear. He Mm -hmm. is a free agent um, and uh, only one of the players that that testified today uh, is currently on a roster. That was C.J. Cron, who is who is uh, currently on the Rockies roster. All the rest are are free agents. Um, But to your point. You know, we hear, hear a lot of these conversations around other sports. The NHL is one in particular. You hear a lot about drug abuse, painkillers, and recreational. And interestingly, of course, is that there's this emphasis in some sports about testing for things like marijuana. All the while, you have mm. in- incredibly mm. dangerous recreational drugs and incredibly addictive painkillers that go sort of under the surface. So I won't be optimistic that conversations like this will necessarily change that approach or bring it out into the light but maybe one or two people will be helped by the honesty here or by you know what happened to skags and and understanding the dangers of of mixing because uh certainly the nfl or the nhl i should say had that stretch of enforcers passing away um both suicide and and uh narcotics and and painkillers related uh Something for these leagues to to look out for uh, in their in their own interest beyond just uh, the safety of their players. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's something that you you have to try to cut it off right right at this point, you know, because you have a young man, like I said, who has passed away, and and then you you look at just I'm sure it wasn't just that that locker room that that was doing it, so you mm-hmm. definitely need to dive into that and, yep. and and establish a committee or something like to to put a, a halt to it. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Tron Davenport in for Fitz as we do quickies. Next story. Quickies. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Uh, we knew this story wasn't over, uh, but once we got past the Australian Open, we took a little breather and we are back as he reiterated his stance that he will not get vaccinated against COVID-19. He will opt out of playing in future majors that require him to be vaccinated. He said, yes, that is the price I'm willing to pay. Number one player in the world. Uh, certainly chasing uh, the other two in in Federer and Nadal, who are all believed to be, uh, depending on your argument, the best ever, um, all playing simultaneously, and um, at least the best ever on the men's side. Um, And, you know, Teron, I wish I could say that I understood or at least had any sort of admiration for sticking to his guns, but unfortunately I think the denial of science and expertise um, it is more, uh, 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 it's about misinformation campaigns and mm-hmm. I just have more sadness than I do anger for people who have been caught up in that. I just think it's, it's very sad and unfortunate how people are unable to have the critical thinking to understand the difference between 
the expertise of folks who have been working on this stuff and particularly on mRNA vaccines for years uh, versus the people who are, um, for whatever various reasons, undermining that expertise in pursuit of the misinformation campaigns because um, it's hard to get angry at someone who is self-defeating. And that's what he's doing both in terms of his own health and his career. Yeah, and it's interesting that he mentioned that he's had he had vaccines as a child, you know. So of course, this we isn't all did. something, right? Exactly. <laughs> this isn't something. But him mentioning that is like self acknowledgement. We know that, but you know he has to right. acknowledge, it, and that's what he did. And it's just I, like I get having the freedom to choose what you put into your body, but there is so much misinformation out there. And uh, one of the things is that this MRN, uh, uh, you, you know, this that part of yeah. it is. is yeah, that mRNA new. vaccines are mRNA, new, which, are, which yeah. they are not. Yeah, <laughs> so it, yeah. it's, yeah. I, I just, I get taking a stand, and we all have a right to do that. It's unfortunate, you know, that, that we're being deprived of one of the best to ever, ever play. But again, he has his right to do that. I just, uh, I would love for him to do, you know, a bit more research right. and, and right. be more understanding of. Or, or let other people do the research and then tell him, which they're trying. Uh, yeah. The actual the actual research from experts and scientists and medical professionals who have spent their entire career studying this uh, and for, or, or all of the very clear research on the effects of COVID on those who are unvaccinated versus those who are and the spread. Any of that would be great. Um, and to your point, he does have the right to make this choice. And certainly uh, the tennis majors and everybody in the tennis world has the right to decide that he is not allowed to play if that is his decision. Uh, and so that's kind of where they're at now. The question is, will that change in the coming months, years, as our relationship to the virus changes? Uh, chances are yes, uh, but he will have to wait and see on that. Uh, we didn't have time to get to the figure skating news that makes me want to throw things at the wall. Maybe we'll get to it later. It's Spain and Fitz, Ron Davenport in for Fitz. Bill Barnwell going to join us next to talk all things Super Bowl and the NFL. If you are not a listener to the Bill Barnwell podcast, you're missing out. And you could have known in advance most of what was going to happen in Sunday's Super Bowl if you just listened to Bill talking about pass block win rate versus pass rush win rate expectations from the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. He got it all right. He got it all right. Except for maybe the score. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron, Davenport, in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN senior writer and host of the Bill Barnwell podcast joins us now. Bill, I wish we could have gotten you yesterday, but today is good too. I would love for you to say which of the major storylines, whether that was Stafford, uh, Burroughs Protection, uh, OBJ and Cup, which of the storylines do you think played out the most perfectly to expectations uh, on Sunday? I got to go with Aaron Donald, right? I mean, yeah. it took a while. Yeah. I mean, the first half, I thought they did a pretty good job, all things considered. Burrow is clearly, I mean, you could see he was, the moment he got to the end of his drop, he was like, I got to get this ball out or something <laughs> bad is going to happen to me, which he was not wrong to feel that way. But as the game wore on, I think the Rams found solutions, found ways to get Aaron Donald one-on-one, and it was just a mismatch. It was just you have one of the best players in football against guys who, you know, would be backups on most teams. And no disrespect to them, they played their hearts out and gave their all and got the Bengals this far, but it was just the most obvious mismatch on the field, and eventually it ended up playing out as the most obvious mismatch on the field. 
of course, Aaron Donald had a big part of them being able, the Rams, that is, being able to get to Burrow the way that they did. But Von Miller, right? They mm-hmm. went out and got Von Miller. Yeah, Leonard mm-hmm. Floyd. But I want to focus on, on just the move to get Von Miller. And you look at the Rams. They pushed every possible chip onto the table because this mm-hmm. was the year. Normally, teams will copy a scheme or, or something like that. But do you see other teams seeing what the Rams did and trying to copy that method of, hey, look, that's stockpile the roster. I don't give a daggone about the future. We're going to make it happen right now. <laughs> yeah, try. I think you have to, right? You know, I feel like we try to be, you know, we try to be fiscally smart. We try to encourage teams to build through the draft and, you know, save their money and be in a good cap situation. And all that stuff is great. But look at who's won the last two Super Bowls, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Rams, like you said, trading multiple picks you know, going after guys for years now. They've been trading first-round picks away and trading Ron Miller, signing Odell Beckham. And then last year, the Bucks. I mean, they built around Tom Brady. They got Gronk in, signed a couple players as well. Like, it's not as simple as just trading all your draft picks away. And I think we're going to see teams maybe do that to their detriment. But I think if you have enough of the pieces there, I think the Rams and the Bucks tell you, hey, it might be worth going out and, and really selling out to try and win in a given year because – in the end, you know, Von Miller was awesome in that game. He was a difference maker in a spot where they did not have a difference maker. Odell Beckham, before he got hurt, was a mm-hmm. difference maker in that game. So to me, I, I think that teams are going to watch the Rams absolutely and say, hey, maybe we wouldn't have made that move two or three years ago, but we're going to make that move now because we saw the difference it can make. It's Spain and Fitz, Bill Barnwell, talking to me and Teron Davenport, who's in for Fitz tonight. On the other side, you've got a Bengals team that shows you a totally different way of getting to the Super Bowl, which is to really make great decisions on the defensive side with affordable players, not maybe get those super big names like the OBJs and the Von Millers, but to do a really good job of getting guys cheap enough uh, to, to put it all together and make a great team. Unfortunately, to your point about Donald, they still haven't figured out the offensive line. And for Matt's, uh, for sorry, for for Joe Burrow to be sacked 19 times this postseason, mm-hmm. what do they do now? How do they avoid another catastrophic injury or another season where they come close but they never really give Burrow a chance? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just as simple as spending a bunch on the offensive line. Maybe they go out and really invest in an offensive line coach if they can go find one with a, a great pedigree, someone like a Mike Munchak or a Bill Callahan, those guys aren't there, but if someone else pops up in the weeks to come, maybe you start there. Maybe you start with Brandon Scherf, the star guard from Washington who is now a free agent. I, I think it's really, you know, you're not worried about the money. You're just worried about getting the guys in house. Like to me, I think there's, you know, the difference between having Joe Burrow healthy and playing at a high level and having to do with a compromised Joe Burrow the way he was in the fourth quarter or having Joe Burrow out altogether, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars to your franchise. So to me, you know, going out and, and spending beyond what anyone else is willing to pay for some of these free agent offensive linemen or trading for an offensive lineman the way the Chiefs did with Orlando Brown, I, I think it's they'd be mm. foolish to do anything but that. They have one obvious weakness, and if they can fix that weakness, they can make it back here. They have enough around Joe Burrow on offense and defense if they can just fix that one thing, they can be competitive with the best teams in football. What do you think about the passing of the torch at the quarterback position? You got Brady, I guess, retiring. You got Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> who's definitely done. <laughs> but you look at these young guns that you have coming up, along with Mahomes, who is established as well. How do you think the, mm-hmm. the quarterback position is set up for the, the future? 
I mean, it's really exciting. And, and I think what's cool is that we're seeing different kinds of quarterbacks succeed now, yeah. right? You know, I think you think about Tom Brady, think about Ben Roethlisberger. Those were quarterbacks who, I mean, great. And, and no no disrespect to them, of course, in the slightest. But, you know, they played a very similar style. Not, not exactly the same, but they were pocket passers. They wanted to, you know, go through their progressions in the pocket. And now we're seeing guys who work in so many different ways. It's almost like if you're – if you're just a pocket passion now, it's like a problem. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's true, but you have these wider ranges of quarterbacks. You have Lamar Jackson, you have Josh Allen, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Dak Prescott, you have Burrow. I mean, some mobility with all those guys, but certainly, you know, totally different styles from quarterback to quarterback. And I think that's what makes this so exciting because I think we're going to see a wider range of styles. And we've seen from college football, when you have a wider range of styles with your quarterbacks and with your offenses, it makes for some really exciting football games. So um, I think Matthew Stafford has a, a lot to be thankful for. I think he it played really well for large stretches of that game, especially given the, the injuries at wide receiver and tight end. But um, I'm excited to see these young guys coming up. I think there's, you know, a, a, a several Hall of Famers likely to be in that mix. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Bill Barnwell, Tron Davenport on Spain and Fitz, filling in for Fitz tonight. Uh, what do you make of the Vikings hire? We can make it official now uh, that the Rams are done. Uh, do you like the move? I don't have strong feelings about it. I'm, I'm not overwhelmed. You know, I, I think at the same time, I think I wasn't really all that thrilled about Zach Taylor in the first two years. I felt right. that was a pretty smart insight. Look at year three. I mean, it worked. And I think you know, for the Vikings, I think my question is, what does it tell you about what their plans are? Because it seems like their plan is now probably to keep Kirk Cousins around. He has a background with Kevin O'Connell. They were both in Washington together uh, earlier in this decade when Kirk Cousins was first starting out. Um, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with hiring someone from a successful organization. But, I mean, we talk about all these things that come up with, with coaches of color. You know, Kevin O'Connell was on a play caller. Kevin O'Connell was on a successful guy outside of his time with Sean McVay. So to me, I, I think the resume is pretty thin. doesn't mean that he won't succeed, but I, I'm a little surprised they went for him versus some of the more qualified coaches out there. One of the more qualified coaches out there was Doug Peterson. How do you mm-hmm. think the change from that mess that we could call it with <laughs> Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson, how do you think that's going to impact the Jaguars franchise? I mean, I, I'm really excited about the Doug Peterson hire, and I think – Something I've learned in life, guys, is follow the person who did a really bad job because the expectations are really <laughs> low, and all, all you got to do is just be confident and you look like you've really accomplished something. And I think that's what's going to happen in, in, in Jacksonville. You know, Doug Peterson was someone who won a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz, turned that franchise around in two years after he got there, two years from the final year of the Chip Kelly era where their team was a mess, they were falling apart, to winning a Super Bowl. And Obviously, drafting Carson Wentz helped, but they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as their quarterback. It tells you how much work they had done. And, yes, I think Frank Reich played a role in that. I think, you know, that was a maybe a lightning and a bottle team to some extent. But I think Doug Peterson is a very professional coach. He is a coach who is open-minded. He's aggressive on fourth down. And I think he has the ability to build a solid culture there. So, to me, I think, you know, especially given what the baseline is in Jacksonville after – disastrous year they had with Urban Meyer, I think it's going to be a really positive sign. I think they're going to look much more competent in Trevor Lawrence's second season in Jacksonville. Spain and Fitz, Bill Barnwell, thanks for the insight. We asked Ben Skoranek this after a long season. Uh, What's your plan? Do you get a little bit of a break here? 
I'm getting married next month, though. So oh, I, no! I got, I got, I got to grind the, a totally different universe. I have to figure out how to plan and actually accomplish a wedding in the next month and a half. Oh my gosh, where's the wedding? <laughs> good thing, good thing you played the reggaeton horn because it is in Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow, what exactly, happens in Vegas? Exactly the vibe we're going for. Is with legally <laughs> binding for the rest of your life to you <laughs> file for divorce. Uh, congratulations. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Well, I'll have to ask you about that off the air because I'm going to crash. Uh, Bill, <laughs> awesome stuff all season long. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Bill Barnwell, soon to be a married man. Uh, coming up next, we'll get back to the Harden and Simmons stuff we were talking about earlier. This time I want to focus on what Simmons' fresh start could mean for him. It's coming up next. Now you get to trade a disgruntled player for a disgruntled player. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers made an incredible move. I think this move puts them head and shoulders above everybody else in the East. I see Brooklyn as the clear winner in this deal. There's a lot of buzz that Nets have won this trade and this and that. It's a cool lineup, but, like, one guy can't play home games yet. One guy hasn't played in how many months? We haven't seen him play yet, but we saw James Harden ring the bell tonight for the Sixers. We heard him speak, and we heard Ben Simmons speak. Now we wait and see how the two guys that I perhaps a little crassly describes as trading about a gonorrhea for a case of herpes last week maybe it was a little <laughs> harsh uh but some red flags on both sides we have to wait and see what they do for their new teams but so much content that they have provided we don't just get time to dog the lakers for being disappointing now we've moved on we've moved on to the sixers and the nets spain and fitz sarah spain trying to have import in for fitz on espn radio espn app sirius xm channel eight it's time for the progressive nba snapshot taking a look at uh, something that James Harden said today, uh, now a guard for the Sixers, when he will play, not sure yet, uh, not available for the All-Star game, not available yet for the team, but as Tracy McGrady pointed out today, interesting the uh, warm-ups they saw him doing in practice today if he's a guy who's really working with the hamstring injury, but that's a story for another time. Let's hear what James said about the Sixers. Why did you want out of Brooklyn and, and why did you want Philadelphia to be your destination? Um, originally, you know, when I was going through everything I was going through, uh, you know, in Houston, uh, Philly was my, you know, my first choice. Uh, it just didn't happen. So, um, you know, but just detailed, I don't really want to get into, you know, the, the Brooklyn situation. I just knew, you know, for a very long time, this was a, a perfect fit. And obviously you got a, a, a big man, the best big man in the league and Joel, and then obviously the coaching, uh, just from top to bottom, it made sense. And. Um, I'm just happy and, and blessed that I'm here. And um, as Doc and, and everybody knows and everybody wants is, is to win and be the last team standing. So um, I'm excited for the opportunity. Teron, just like the butt bit we heard earlier, he made sure to mention everybody here wants to win and cares and will do anything for it, which I think is a call out of Kyrie Irving. But also, uh, you know, uh, Sawatsky would tell us not to ask a double-barreled question where you can ignore the first one and answer the second, which is essentially what he did there. He told us why he wanted the Sixers and not so much why he wanted to leave the Nets. That's leaving it to all the sources telling us about the Cold War between him and KD and the issues that he had with Kyrie. Yeah, absolutely. And there were clearly issues because he's hinting at that a, a couple times. So I, I just think when you look at that tandem of he and Embiid, I can't wait to see them work that pick and roll, the high mm -hmm. post 
And I, that's just going to be fun to watch because I know Harden, he's like a machine gun, you know, as far as shooting. But he will at times, you know, show his passing ability. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that whole situation works out. And, again, having a, a guy who could score points at will, that is going to be critical for the Sixers because they need someone that could support Embiid in that way as far as taking over. Completely agree. And I think to what you said earlier, he can make this team much better if it works out. I am interested to see both long-term and in the short-term um, if they can find a rhythm and be consistent in and out. Uh, the question also is what is going to happen with Ben Simmons. This mm. is a guy who already seems to have a weight lifted off his shoulders. The way he talked today made it clear that he was ready for this fresh start. And I think a lot of people who are perhaps not qualified to speak on mental health are oh. alleging that this was a very quick turnaround for someone who was struggling, ignoring perhaps that if part of the reason for your struggles is the situation that you're in, the atmosphere, um, a, a change of scenery in a new place might be just what you need. And I also think... Um, you know, Teron, we just started as a society really being open about mental health struggles, depression, all sorts of issues. So mm -hmm. not only are we not yet fully qualified to understand and speak with empathy and education on this, but also I don't know if we'll ever truly be able to, unless we are the mental health care providers assigned to an individual, know just what is the cause of, of their actions. Sometimes people can be incredibly self-defeating and they can act in ways that are, are fully criminal. I think of someone like Antonio Brown, where um, I'm not giving him a pass for anything because of what appears might be some things he needs help with. But I also think in the sports world, we cannot enable and embolden people to make mistakes, especially mistakes that have um, victims um, in pursuit of, of abusing and using their talent. And so whether Ben Simmons to you is somebody who is just spoiled and, and is throwing a hissy fit till he gets what he wants, which to me is actually more like what James Harden did, or someone who is willing to give $20 million up in order to not be in a situation that he felt was unhealthy for him. Um, either way, that's going to be based on a lot of presumption because we only have so much information to go with. It's really interesting how the side you take can sometimes cause you to leave out critical information. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just brought to light, the fines that, that Ben Simmons was willing to take, that lets you know that he was really dug in and serious about getting things right for himself. And for those who say, hey, well, he's already smiling at, at practice with Kevin Durant and this, that, and the third, it's not – really true that he was going through. You don't know that. Like We don't know exactly what this man was going through, and we don't know just the punishment. I, I will tell you this. Playing in Philly, I've talked to many Philadelphia athletes. One of my best friends is, is a former athlete in, in from Philadelphia, and that city, if you're not really, really tough-skinned, that city's going to kill you. And even Ben Simmons himself, he said that he was in a very dark place, you know, and he, he said that it's good that he is just smiling. So to me, it's just like, let this man go ahead and smile. He has a, a situation now where he has the, he has hope for his professional career, so to speak. But then also he's in a better situation where he's away from all the stuff that was stockpiling on some of it, rightfully so, because his game was, you know, his game. But I think he has gotten an escape and we have to, as a society, just be more willing to look at everything as opposed to just picking and choosing different parts of a story and taking a side that way. Teron, 
a story and a human being, right? That's the other thing. Exactly. We love to put people into a box. We love to consider them only as a rich and famous and successful athlete, forgetting that they have all of the same humanity that the rest of us do. And that is why these conversations often fail so miserably, because people are unable to see that a human being can struggle even if they have money or wealth or fame or talent. Um, and that gets us off on the wrong foot. The other thing is that there are so many stories attached to sports about toughness, about mm. selflessness, about the things that make you a real champion. And some people are able to access those things by pure vir virtue of their genetics and others uh, really struggle. And uh, for most of them, it's not a matter of choice. And we don't, we don't really acknowledge that. We sort of just give the props to those who were built that way um, and maybe don't understand for, for some others how much they have to work to get there. It makes it a very complicated conversation, one we're mostly not ready to have yet. We are ready to have a conversation with Kevin Seifert about the NFL offseason. It's coming up next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you on a Tuesday. Teron Davenport filling in for Fitz tonight here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your small business is a big deal. Cover what you've worked so hard for. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Joining us now, ESPN staff writer Kevin Seifert, who is already on top of all of the stories for the offseason. We just finished... 2021-22, and we're already on to the next. You can find his story on ESPN.com, NFL offseason priorities for 2022. Kevin, every year it feels like we have these grand ideas of incredible quarterback movement. We start placing quarterbacks in new places, and we get really excited about it. And usually it kind of fizzles. We don't usually end up with quite the shifting of signal callers we expect. Do you think that this is finally the off season where we'll see some of those big names actually move? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there'll be a few. Um, you know, the big one, as I point out in the story, was Aaron Rodgers. And he's sort of maybe the first domino. But it, to the extent that we have indications right now, there's no real uh, indication that he wants to leave Green Bay or even that he's necessarily going to retire. So, I think if you're a team that's looking to upgrade a quarterback or, or certainly would entertain adding Aaron Rodgers, you sit tight and wait uh, for him. Uh, and assume, But assuming he doesn't go to the Packers and say he wants to be traded somewhere else, I think we're going to see a couple guys move around. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo seems most likely to go. You would think if and when Deshaun Watson's legal issues are resolved that that would uh, come back up again. But um, I don't know that there's going to be quite the, uh, the musical chairs that we're all hoping for. There always seems to be this reach, Kevin, for, for quarterbacks in the draft. And you said that you don't expect to see too much movement of some of the top guys. So how do you think that will impact your, your Kenny Pickett, your Malik Willis's, those guys, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, those types? How do you think that will impact? Do you think that will force teams to really uh, reach for them, a la Jake Locker and the Titans back in the day? Yeah, I mean – there's going to be multiple quarterbacks taken in the first round. I saw somebody else put it really well. There's no QB one in this draft, mm. but somebody's going to be drafted like a QB one. And so whether that's Kenny Pickett or Malik uh, Willis, we don't know, you know, even Sam, Howell, we'll have to see, but uh, in terms of overall talent level, there'll be quarterbacks take, there'll be players who will fall behind the, the, that are more talented than these top quarterbacks that will be drafted behind them because of the position that they play. And so, uh, it's, there's no Trevor Lawrence, there's no uh, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, or even a, really a Baker Mayfield right now where you can say that they're going to be a number one pick. Uh, I don't know that any of the quarterbacks in this draft will, but there'll be 
more guys taken in the first round at quarterback than I think people thought maybe even a month ago. Kevin Seifert is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Toronto, Davenport in for Fitz tonight. Talking about things the NFL needs to address in the offseason. And the Washington Commanders and Dan Snyder are a major one. Uh, the problem, Kevin, to me, feels like it doesn't really matter what accusations are, are thrown Daniel Snyder's way. It doesn't really matter how much money they have to spend on investigations and everything else. He's appears to be bulletproof. It appears as though whether the the long thought scenario or hypothesis that the owners don't want people sniffing around their houses so they're not about to kick one of their own out for stuff that they themselves might have in their closets. Um, that seems to be the, the leading uh, uh, opinion on why Goodell and the NFL don't do anything. But at some point, don't the number of lawsuits, don't, don't the disgustingness of the accusations start to get to a level that can't quite just be uh, moved past the way they have it before? Uh, you would think, and, and it was notable, I thought, uh, for a little bit of a change in tone from the NFL and either, even from Roger Goodell himself on the on the Washington franchise. I mean, they twice put out statements last week that basically blamed uh, Washington for not handling these latest allegations of uh, sexual harassment um, uh, against Daniel Snyder the correct way. And even at one point, Roger Goodell even said, you can't have a team investigate itself. So they took over that investigation. That's not to say that it's going to lead to any different outcome. We've already seen what happens when the league uh, hires somebody to do an investigation of Washington. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, at some, at some point you would think, I mean, right now, you know, to be frank, there's two owners that – that are at least under public scrutiny in terms of, of whether they should be in uh, the caretakers of their franchise, not just right. Washington, but Steve Ross in Miami as well. And so, and it was also notable that Roger Goodell confirmed, you know, he was asked, can, can the league kick out an owner if it wants? You know, we saw the NBA do that with um, uh, the Clippers uh, a few years ago. And, and uh, he said, yes, yes, they can, as long as the other owners vote for it. And so, that I thought all those things were notable changes in tone. They, they, you know, I'm not saying that they're going after them or they're even in any da- real danger, but it also wasn't the same circle the wagons, you know, keep things internal uh, response that we've seen previously. Quick follow on that, it, just really quick. The way it's set up with yeah. Goodell essentially being beholden to the owners and at the same time allegedly their boss and in charge. Does it feel like the only possibility might be for Congress and the government to step in? Because it, it, it to me, feels like the NFL has enabled and emboldened some of the behaviors of Snyder and the commanders um, in, in, in a way that in other industries, um, it wouldn't just be legal, but, uh, you know, other aspects of, of the company or the industry might hold people accountable, uh, which is really difficult to do for Goodell uh, in terms of his relationship with the owners. Yeah, I, I think it's possible that the congressional involvement will shake out some details and information that otherwise wouldn't have gotten out. But my own opinion of, of the Washington franchise, even going back to the name change uh, more than a decade ago when that started coming up, was that uh, the owners will be moved by uh, by financial considerations. And mm. the, re- the the timing of when Washington decided to change their uh, their name was when their corporate sponsors threatened to drop them. You know, and so if if there becomes an owner who has created enough of a public spectacle that the sponsors of that team or the sponsors of that league don't want to be associated with, and they speak up, then I think you could see some action. And so there's a there's a role for the for Congress and government to play um, here, which I think is is shaking out more information and potentially, I guess, the justice system if there were laws broken. But 
I really feel like it would have to come to the, get to the level where corporate sponsors say, you know, this is not something that um, that we want to continue to, to sponsor uh, if you're going to continue this way. Along those lines, you, you mentioned Stephen Ross earlier and, and the Dolphins and and Brian Flores' lawsuit. I, I, that's the first time I could think of a, a coach actually being offered an incentive to lo- lose. And you look at this whole NFL, right, they're working to – established parity and here it is you have a team that can possibly be incentivizing losing how do how can they get to the bottom of all this because it it just seems at this point it's a lot of like like my word against your word yeah there's gonna have to be some receipts and i think that was the indication we got from brian flores and his attorneys that there it is not just him saying this that there's uh, a level of evidence that he's going to be able to produce whether it's witnesses or uh, recordings. I, I don't know what what that is specifically, but you're right. I don't think it, he's gonna. It's gonna amount to anything if it's just a he said he said type of situation. Um, but I, it sounds like it's it's more than that. And while that lawsuit um, obviously drew attention first and foremost for the Rooney Rule uh, impact, uh, potential impact it would have on the Rooney Rule and how it sort of exposed it as as not you know something that people aren't following like this. This uh, pay-to-lose accusation and allegation is just as serious for the league, um, and you know what they they sell, you know that that to TV broadcasters and everybody else who watches games that we have real-life, real-time drama that isn't doesn't have a predetermined outcome. And if an owner is offering bonuses to coaches for losing games, then it's hard to make that argument. And so it goes to the very core of what the NFL's business model is and what they try to sell. And so. I think, you know, that while I think that obviously the the impact on uh, minor, diversity hiring and minority head coaches is, is obviously huge, this is just, just as big in terms of uh, importance to the NFL. Kevin Seifert, ESPN staff writer with us on Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. You can find Kevin's story on .com, NFL offseason priorities for 2022 Dates, quarterback dominoes, rule changes, Rooney rule revisions, etc. Uh, we got to run so quickly. Just uh, which of the rules, whether it's special teams changes, uh, de-emphasizing the taunting that didn't go over well this year, what do you think is the most important to get right? I think the punt situation. I mean, concussions are concussion rate on punts is higher than any other uh, play in the NFL. The punts injuries in general are higher uh, than anybody in the any other play in the NFL. And to the extent that the NFL wants to keep the foot in the game and keep special teams a, a viable thing, they have data that from their health and safety group to show that it's not right now and so that it's not safe and, and is, is under threat. And so I think they for anybody who wants to continue to see those plays one way or the other, they're going to have to get it right to get those injury numbers down. Yeah. Well, we got lots of the off season to, to, to hear about changes and to hear about proposals, and you'll keep us up to date on them. Thanks, as always, for the insight, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff, as always, and yeah, plenty to get into with uh, a lot of the rule changes and emphasis that's going to be discussed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, in for Fitz on this Tuesday night. Coming up next, we're quickly hit on something from that Matt Harvey news that came out today. Also, a rogue Valentine's post that turned one man into Twitter's protagonist today and not in a good way. It's coming up next. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport, filling in for Fitz. Thank you, by the way, Teron. Last minute call up. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. You stay ready so you never have to get ready. You that heard is me. So right. It's ESPN Radio, 
ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, we talked earlier in the show um, about uh, TJ Quinn doing some great work for us um, out at the, the trial um, for MLB, former Los Angeles Angel staffer Eric Kay, um, who is um, currently on trial for providing Tyler Skaggs the drugs that led to his overdose death. Multiple major league players testifying that they received pills from from him. Um, and one of the big things that came out was you know, superstar pitcher Matt Harvey talking about recreational drug use, um, cocaine and otherwise. And he was given protections uh, in order to to be open and honest uh, at this at this trial about um, where he where he got the drugs, his use of the drugs. And Tehran, unfortunately, Terry Collins is speaking to the post, doing radio interviews, um, going around talking a whole lot about Matt Harvey's business. And in the story in the post, um, I think it's particularly upsetting that it that it sounds like. Um, the mental skills coach for the Mets um, shared what what I would presume to be private information that Matt Harvey spoke to him about and spoke to Terry Collins about. Um, and I'm not sure what Terry Collins believes is his end goal in speaking publicly about this stuff in talking about some of the behind the scenes. I don't know if he's attempting to protect the Mets from criticism that they didn't do enough, but it sure feels like uh, it might deter folks from speaking to their team about what they're struggling with, whether that's um, use of recreational drugs or painkillers, uh, depression or anxiety, any of that, if, if they're going to end up going and talk to a bunch of newspapers and radios about it. Yeah, and I think this is a big blow to the progress that we have made. I'm here in Nashville. Earlier this year, A.J. Brown came out and said that he had contemplated taking his life last year. Obviously, that was something that he talked to team physicians or whoever it may be. There were, there, was, there were people that he talked to about that, but it was kept silent, and he was allowed to bring that out. And I, I think when you look at just the, the, the shame that is, is, is put towards the, the mental health, like the hesitance that people have, you know, and then you have this guy, Terry Collins, coming out and, and, and sharing that, Matt Harvey did contemplate suicide. It's a bad look just for a movement, and not even a movement, but an education and an understanding that that we as a society are looking to establish as far as the, the mental health aspect. So it, it's terrible to to come out and, and say this. And I don't care what your gain is. There There is no gain that's greater than uh, – you know, being able to save somebody right. when they come to you and, and, and tell you that right. this is something they're thinking. Loyalty and safety in feeling like you can come to the people around you for help Correct. with this and then it's not going to end up with someone deciding to use that to, to give commentary. Um, frustrating to see, and it will be interesting to see if the NFL has a stance on on what Terry Collins has chosen to do. And, um, you know, again, you don't want to take step back, steps back in these conversations. Um, unfortunately, uh, like I said, I, w- I would hope that some of the conversations around Skagg's death and everything would in- inform players to be safe and to get help with situations like this. But uh, to that point, also, there's so much shame that um, something like Terry Collins going out and speaking about all this personal stuff uh, might might not be great. Uh, Teron Davenport is in for Fitz tonight, Spain and Fitz. Uh, Teron, I have to ask you this, because uh, I know that folks are, are meeting people anywhere and everywhere these days. Uh, chat rooms, you know, Twitter spaces, clubhouse. 
dating sites, but I guess I didn't realize that a whole bunch of people were meeting on Twitter, sliding into the DMs, <laughs> and flying across the country to see people that they don't really know anything at all about. But that happened to become a topic of great conversation on Twitter today, as at its Nia Monet uh, found out that a man that she met on Twitter, OJ the King, was posting a photo yesterday of the two of them together with a heart covering her face, but very clearly her some of her tattoos and stuff visible that made it clear who she was and saw some of her friends recognize it. Posted a photo yesterday of them all cute and hugging as if it was his Valentine's Day boo. Now, meanwhile, come to find out after she requests that he take the photo down, after her sister requests that he take the photo down, that she blocked him over a year ago and they had not spoken and he just decided to post it and hope no one would notice that he is not with that woman and they are not together. And so she decided to air out all of his dirty, dirty laundry on the app when he refused to delete it. And uh, that included him lying when she was supposed to see him for the second time. They had a great weekend together. I guess she was going to fly out and see him. Then he said there was a funeral for his cousin. So could she reschedule? So they reschedule. Then she's about to come out the second time, and he tells her his license keeps getting suspended uh, in a certain county for some driving reasons, and he has a court date, and he has to spend four days in jail and pay a fine, so could she reschedule again because he happens to be in jail then. Okay? So, third flight, he ghosts her for 24 hours, then somebody else sends a message from his phone saying he had to go to the hospital due to his sugar spiking. He apparently has diabetes. So then they send a photo that's real suspect looking, and she realizes that all of this is a lie, and she has since deleted the tweet where she explains that she used information via work to find out that he lied about his job, his house, all these other things. So she blocks him, doesn't hear, you know, just gets one email from him apologizing, and a year later he's posting a photo with her as if they're together. Now, in addition to this, somebody looks up the cousin that he claimed died, and it's just some random woman's husband from Facebook who died and was buried in January of 2021. Meanwhile, uh, this cousin that he said allegedly died was like months later. So just using and stealing pictures of other dead people. Some other woman said he claimed he had COVID and he couldn't see her when she had her flight scheduled. Some other woman said he got robbed at a stoplight and he wasn't able to see her and he should change her flight. There are women coming out of the woodwork to run. I I can't even with this guy. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and I tell you, it's kind of scary. It, you know, if I was that young lady, I'd be I'd be very thankful that nothing happened to me because right? you're bringing a guy who who is just a, a, a habitual liar, and who else? Who knows what else that he has going on? I just that's the typical this generation, right? You do anything for clout, you know, and, and just social media has its its pluses but my goodness this is an example of the negatives mm -hmm. and i it, it could have gotten really bad so i think she needs to be thankful that all she has is, is a guy that that she could you know tell to take down pictures agreed very very true and you're right about like the lying for clout claiming he's a music producer claiming he's got this house claiming that this business is doing great like all of that to try to you know bamboozle and swindle these women um 
what a mess though for all of it to come mm. out and people see it and then they chime in and they have their own stories like all because you wanted to post a fake story like story fake photo with a woman that you haven't seen in a year like get it together man yeah. oh it's just you never want to be the protagonist or the or the antagonist for that matter on Twitter for the day. Like you like you never want to be trending on Twitter unless you did something awesome like you won a championship or something. Otherwise you, you just don't. float under the radar. That's what I yeah, do. You man. don't want to see your name on that right side. Unless you're mean and you're taking out Jeff Garcia and he's making all of his uh, social media profiles private. Speaking of Jeff Garcia and Mina, they're gonna be on Freddie and Fitzsimmons together next. Okay, this time I'm really kidding. It's not happening. <laughs> 